following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Great to see you all. and Welcome to all of you afar off joining us online. Morning, Daniel. Well, we're back in First Peter again, First Peter chapter four. We're going to look at verses twelve through nineteen, page one oh one six in the Pew Bibles. Uh, there are <clears throat> there are some that call First um, Peter. Uh, the epistle of afflictions. Um, and it's true that Peter has dealt with afflictions and suffering of various kinds um, so far in this letter. But in our text for this morning, Peter deals with a very specific kind of suffering. But uh, before we go any further, let's pray and ask for God's help and wisdom as we examine his word. Father, we are grateful to be together as a family this morning, gathered in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit, the work of your Son. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would speak now to us through your word. I pray that... Uh, your words would fill my mouth and you would interpret the things that I say that they might be beneficial to your saints here. We need your help, Lord. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. So, First Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I want to be very clear as best 
I can this morning. Mm. Suffering is very real. And it is a huge part of our human existence. Alistair Begg said, Pain is not an illusion, it is an intrusion. Meaning that pain and suffering that we experience are a result of the curse. They are a result of the fall of man in the garden, the sin of Adam and Eve. And we inherit that problem. But even though pain and suffering were not part of the original design, that does not mean that pain and suffering are outside of God's plan. There is, <clears throat> there is an extremely popular mindset and teaching in the church today that suffering and pain and difficulty of any kind in the church is outside of the will of God. That it's not God's will that anyone be sick. That it's not God's will that anyone should suffer. It's not God's will that life should be hard. That we have victory. And so these things should not be part of our experience. That's false. And we can nod and say, yeah, but we still believe it. It's still false. Pain and suffering, difficulty are part of the plan. In Christ, we do have victory. We absolutely have victory. But it's victory over sin. It's victory over death and the grave. The victory that we have over difficult circumstances is not freedom from difficult circumstances. It's freedom through difficult circumstances because we trust our Heavenly Father and we know that He is at work in them to make us more like Jesus. That He has a purpose in those things. Alistair Begg also gave 10 bullet points that deal with what the Bible says that's, uh, that some but not all of the purposes uh, of the purposes of God are in the experience of suffering. There, he gave ten reasons why suffering exists, biblically speaking. And I want I want to go over them just quickly. I'm not going to preach another man's sermon or anything, but I want to share these ten um, truths with you. Number one, suffering exists to develop perseverance. Suffering exists to develop perseverance. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 should be everybody's favorite verses. Um, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, perseverance. Right? Put that on your bumper sticker, right? Why doesn't Crossroads Church t-shirts 
We count it all joy when things are hard. We know that God is at work developing perseverance in us, steadfastness in us. Suffering exists to develop perseverance. Suffering exists, number two, suffering exists to bring us to maturity. James 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Persevering through trials brings us to maturity. Number three, suffering exists to assure us of our sonship. And ladies, don't be offended by sonship, that there isn't a daughtership. Uh, My spell check doesn't like the word sonship either, but uh, we all stand on equal ground as children of God through faith in Christ um, and when the Bible is written, the firstborn son stood to inherit the estate. So it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. (laughs) This is great. This is very encouraging. Number four, suffering exists to prove the genuine nature of our faith. We can look back in the epistle of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this... You rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering exists to prove the genuine tested nature of our faith. More precious than gold. I, I, I want to say that this stuff is not true. Like suffering is bad. We all know it. And, and God's will is just not for us to suffer. So if suffering's happening, that's because, I don't know, the bad guys are winning. This is what God's word says, that suffering is for our good. And that's only the first four. Number five, suffering exists to develop in us humility. Another T-shirt opportunity here. Second Corinthians twelve seven, Paul writes after talking about his uh, revelations um, by the Spirit. He says, "So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh." A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. 
Sometimes our suffering is given to us to keep us from becoming conceited. Number six, suffering exists to keep us on track. Psalm 119.67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. And Proverbs 3.11 and 12 says, my son did not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We don't often think of our suffering as discipline from the father because we want to blame somebody else. Something is going wrong. It's because somebody is doing something wrong and it clearly can't be me. It's got to be somebody else. Well, it is. It's the Lord disciplining us because he loves us, disciplining us to keep us on track. Number seven, suffering exists to deepen our insight into the heart of God. Philippians chapter three, verse 10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. God is a suffering God. Our Savior is a suffering Savior. Christ, a suffering Christ, is our example. Number eight, suffering exists to enable us to help others. Second Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others, those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Suffering exists to enable us to help others. Number nine, suffering exists to reveal what we really love. Favorite. Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In order to follow Christ, all other relationships must become subordinate to our relationship with him. He's not commanding us to turn against our family. He's commanding us to put him before them, that our relationship with Christ is more important than our relationship with anybody else. When your mother or father or wife or children or brother or sister says, you don't have to do that Jesus thing anymore, that's old. Come on, get with the times. 
Okay? No. Jesus is saying everything else must come second. And when we are made to suffer the reality of what is truly first in our hearts gets revealed. Number 10. Suffering exists to display God's glory. John 9, 1 through 3. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. That fellow got his story written down in the Bible to glorify God through his suffering. I say all of that to say that's not what I want to say. And that's not what Peter is saying either. Those are all true and good and helpful, but they are not what Peter is talking about. I, I, I'd love to talk more about suffering. Love it. Just life is hard, but God is good. There's, there's a song in there, right? And that's true. And these things are true. But that's not what Peter is talking about. And that's not what I want to talk about. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think it's really important Context is king, right? When we're looking at the scripture, we can't just take one verse or phrase and pull it out of there and then build a doctrine around it or, or build a sermon around that so that we, we have incomplete thoughts about it. Unless we think in our selfishness that the fiery trials that Peter mentions here are just anything that happens to us that we don't like, just any unpleasantness or difficulty that we face on any given day. I'd like to read an account from Scripture of the kind of fiery trial that Peter meant. And this is an account from the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And no, I didn't choose to read from the book of Daniel just to be cute. This account takes place when the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, were exiled in Babylon around 500 years or so before Jesus was born. It's Daniel chapter 3, starting at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. Now, go back to your Sunday school lesson so you understand what a cubit is. A cubit is from your fingertip to your elbow. So for a normal person, that's 18 inches. Keniston cubits are a little different. Okay? 60 cubits 
high and six cubits wide. <coughs> Excuse me. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, bagpipe. Honestly, this is written in Hebrew. Um, They're just guessing at that word, but I love that they chose bagpipe. I did research that. They have no idea of what it meant, but they call it a bagpipe anyway. (coughs) Sorry. Every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the, bag, all the peoples heard the bagpipes, that's stuck in my mind now. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, And every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so... Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, 
and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste, He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego, service of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. That's fiery trial. The people that Peter was writing to we're about to experience the same kind of thing. Peter has written in this letter to encourage the church to submit to the rulers above them, to submit to the emperor, and the emperor at the time was Nero. Nero is the Roman emperor who is famous for setting Christians on fire and using them as torches for his parties. The church was about to experience a real fiery trial. Very similar to the kind of persecution that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are experiencing now. Peter's message to the church and the Spirit's message to us is to simply trust the Lord when you are persecuted for his name's sake. This is kind of like the book of Lamentations. You have to read the whole thing to get to the one line at the end so that the whole thing makes sense. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he will walk with us through those fiery trials. See, when you think about Jesus, 
What picture comes in your head? What do you see in your mind? Do you see a Galilean peasant teaching people by the seaside? Do you see a victorious Christ on the white horse returning for his bride? Do you see a suffering Christ beaten, mocked, scorned, deserted, crucified? I won't criticize you for thinking one or parts or all of those things, but we cannot forget that Jesus was a suffering Messiah and he is our example. Jesus' whole life on earth was a fiery trial and he trusted his father through it all. And even though his righteousness cost him his life, he would not turn away from his father. When he said to Peter, don't you think I could call down 12 legions of angels and deal with this? I don't need you and your sharp stick. But he didn't. Because he knew his father was at work through his suffering. And he was suffering for God's purpose. So here's the one line. Not the ten points, the one point. The challenge before us Now, here, in 2021, is to live in such a way that it is obvious that we belong to Jesus. Not to seek out persecution. Start waving flags in people's face just to get a reaction. But to live like Jesus lived, that we might be blessed to die like Jesus died for God's purpose and glory to follow him closely enough that those who don't follow him recognize a difference in us. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example, the example of Jesus, our suffering Messiah, who though he suffered is victorious 
and triumphant over sin and death and the grave. Lord, may we not forget that the suffering Messiah is our example so that the victorious Messiah will be our king. Father, I pray for your help as we walk through fiery trials for your name's sake. I pray, Father, that people would see a difference in us, that they would know that we belong to you by how we talk and how we act, what our household is like, what our work ethic is like. Father, may we live in such a way that brings glory to your name people will know that we belong to you. Father, may your spirit continue to work in our hearts according to your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890